We're going to be reading today from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13 to the end of the chapter. God's Word says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this, this word is the good news that was preached to you. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word and write its truth upon our hearts today. Well, I love to do ancestry research, which I've said many times uh, in the past, and most of you know who know me. Uh, and so I enjoy family connections and learning about the past. And, and uh, in my family, it, it, it's uh, not necessarily uh, anything great to, to carry on, the names that we have and the, the past people that I've discovered there. A lot of people got shot. Uh, it, it's pretty grim. Uh, maybe some criminal element there, I'm not sure. I'm the white sheep in my family of black sheep, I, I hope. But this passage mentions uh, fathers, forefathers, children, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, a lot of family uh, references here. And as Christians, we have moved beyond the number one identity being our family, uh, our earthly family, our earthly name, to the identity we have as being children of God, part of his family. That's our main identity now as Christians. How do we live as God's children in this world? And, and we look forward to a, a great family reunion. And, and you see there, if you have one of the outlines, that I'm framing my thoughts in this manner. First, we look towards a, a family reunion. And in the meantime, we have to bear a family resemblance and then finally we see some things here about family dynamics within uh, the people of God. So those are my three points today. And uh, I want to begin by looking right at the very beginning of the passage. It begins with therefore. And it points us back to what Peter said in verses 3 through 12. Christians have been chosen to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, etc. So he describes uh, Christians as exiles, uh, sojourners here on earth, whose salvation will be revealed fully 
when Jesus returns. Then we will be at home forever with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. And based on the understanding that we have been born again to a living future hope, Peter exhorts us how we should live in the now as we wait for that which is to come. He commands us to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we're supposed to look forward to that, he says. Look forward to it. Base your life on that hope, he commands. Now you think about hope in this life and, and what, what is our hope in this life. What is it that you're hoping to gain in this life? What are you pursuing with your life? What is your goal? For many, it's to make money in order to live a comfortable, secure life, to, to gain power, possibly. For others, it is to successfully raise a family, to have a great family name. Still others are, are using their lives to pursue positions of power, authority, uh, and or significance. We want to be somebody. We want to uh, leave behind a, a legacy. Some people are just trying to be popular and or famous. They relish their 15 minutes of fame. Peter commands us as Christians to place all of our hope on one thing. And it's not money or, or power or significance or, or popularity. We should place all of our hope on the grace, the undeserved favor that Jesus will lavish on his people when he returns to earth. That's what we're living for as Christians. That's what we are looking forward to. That's what we're longing for as Christians. That's where we are to place our hope fully. Fully on that future grace. All our hopes are wrapped up in that coming event. But to do that, we've got to get our minds right. So he says... Preparing your minds for action. So there's a command here, set our hopes fully on the grace that will be revealed. But there's a couple of participles that modify that command. While we are supposed to be setting our hope fully on it, we've got to be preparing our minds for action. Literally in the Greek, it's gird up the loins of your mind. Really interesting phrase there. It's a, a metaphor derived from the practice of the people in that time. You know, they, they wore long flowing robes and if they were uh, going to do some work or something physical or run, they had to pull up their robes and, and tie them up so that they wouldn't be in the way and their, their activity wouldn't be impeded. So when they started a journey, started work, doing something active, they would gird up their loins. So Peter's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. We might say, roll up the sleeves of your mind or tighten up the belt of your mind. In other words, get ready for some vigorous thinking about things. Put aside anything that is impeding and think clearly. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded, he says, sober. We can talk about sobriety in different ways. Of course, there's the difference between being sober and being drunk. He's saying, be sober. Don't be intoxicated or drunk, but be alert, not fuzzy-minded, as a drunk person would be. Or you could talk about sobriety in the, in the sense of temperate. 
not excessive, serious, not silly. So he's saying, look, think soberly, think realistically, think clearly, think temperately about everything. You've got to use your brain. Think about what Jesus is going to reveal when he returns and set your hope there. And, and it requires clear thinking because the world is bombarding you with all kinds of ideas about what you should be pursuing and, and how you should think about things. And he's saying, no, fight through all that, think clearly, set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Christ returns. No sloppy or lazy thinking, no ignorance, no thoughtlessness. That's what Peter is exhorting us against. So this, this passage is really commanding us to keep life in perspective. God the Father has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Christ to a living hope, he says. And that power that raised Christ from the dead has come into the believer and has raised him from spiritual death to spiritual life. And one day, we will experience a physical resurrection. You know, we enjoy the spiritual resurrection and the spiritual life now, but one day we will have a physical resurrection. Our bodies will be renewed. We will be with the Lord and His people in the new heavens and new earth. That's the event we are looking forward to as Christians. So, as he says in those earlier passages, uh, verses, so we might be grieved by various trials in the meantime. You know, it, things aren't going to go perfectly for us. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trials. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. Keep them in perspective. They may be difficult for a time, but we look forward to the grace, this unmerited favor that will be revealed to us when Jesus returns. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. And Paul went through some affliction. You know, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, all those things. He's calling them light and momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory, which is beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's what Peter's telling us to do. Look to the things that are unseen. Look to what's coming. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's hard for us to get a grasp on. That these things that we enjoy and are living for today, they're just transient. But those things that are coming when Christ returns, those things are eternal. And they far surpass these transient things that we are physically experiencing now. And the wonderful thing is about being a Christian is even the trials that we experience in this life are preparing us for that great day when Jesus returns, when we join the family reunion. A Christian lives with a hope that lends perspective to everything else. So what is your hope today? Where are you placing your hope? So we are to place it on that future grace, future family reunion. It also exhorts us to bear the family resemblance. And that family resemblance is holiness. To live with holiness. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
You'll notice that verse 14 begins with, as obedient children. Christians are not simply people who have turned over a new leaf or who have made some resolutions to do better, but rather people who have been born again, radically changed and transformed, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And we're part of a new family now into which we've been adopted. Our entire identity has changed. Therefore, we are no longer to pattern our lives after our old family, after the passions or the word means lusts or over-desires, the things that we chase after in this life uh, that come out of our former ignorance. And ignorance there is not just an insult. You know, I might say, oh, you're just, you're ignorant, meaning you're stupid. But, and we use that term that way, but the word here means no knowledge. You, you don't have knowledge. If you're ignorant of something, you just, you didn't have a clue that that was the case. So he's saying, don't go back to your former ignorance where you didn't have this knowledge that you didn't know God as your father and, and pursue all the, the lust, the desires that go along with that. But be obedient children. God is your heavenly father. And there's only two options here. Either God is your father or the devil is your father. The Bible makes that clear. Jesus told the Pharisees, these religious guys, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And we know the Pharisees were kind of bad guys, but to, just to demonstrate that it's not just people like the Pharisees, but anyone who is outside of the kingdom. Jesus in the parable of the, the weeds in the field in Matthew 13 says, as he explains the parable to the disciples, the field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. So you're either sons of the kingdom or sons of the evil one. And then 1 John 3. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Christians have a new father. And we are to bear the family resemblance. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now what does that word holy mean? Well, we're inclined to think it means purity. Uh, that's the, the first word that usually pops to mind. And the Bible does use that word in that manner. But the idea of, of purity or moral perfection is a, a secondary meaning to the term in the Bible. When... Isaiah encounters uh, God and, and uh, they're singing, Holy, holy, holy. They mean something more than purity, purity, purity. The primary meaning of holy is to divide or separate. That's where the, the root of the word comes from, uh, it, to cut. And, and what it means is to, to divide something off, to, to set it apart, to, to put it in a special place. It's, a, it's, a, it's cut above something. It's, it's transcendent. God's holiness is, is even more than that. It's more than just separateness. His holiness is a transcendent separateness. And the word transcendent means literally to climb across. It's defined as exceeding usual limits. So to transcend is to rise above something, to go above and beyond a certain limit. When we speak of the transcendence of God, we are talking about the sense in which God is above us and beyond us. And this is used to describe God in relationship to the world. 
He's higher than the world. He's, he has absolutely, absolute power over the world. The world has no power over him. He transcends the world. His trans, transcendence describes God in his consuming majesty. His exalted loftiness, it points to the infinite distance that separates him from every creature. He is an infinite cut above everything else. And as R.C. Sproul is explaining this in his book, Holiness, he says, when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendently separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. God is holy. His children are to be holy. We are to be different in a special way than the world. And that's the whole reason that God has saved us, to, to make us holy, to, to get rid of the sin. He's delivered us from the guilt of sin. He's delivered us from the power of sin. And one day he's going to deliver us from the presence of sin. We're not even going to have it anymore. So in the meantime, as we live in this life, we are to put to death that sin, to kill it. If you're not killing sin, it's going to be killing you, John Owen said. And John Flavel, another one of my favorite Puritans, says, the mortification of sin or putting to death sin is the very scope and aim of our regeneration. It's the reason God has brought us to life, is to, to get rid of the sin, to free us from it. When I was growing up, I, we, had, we have a family business, still have a family business, and, you know, I was a teenager working there and not all that diligent, so sometimes... My uncles or my dad would chide us and say, you know, this is a family business and, and you've got to do things right. You know, even though we're just sticking fish in boxes, uh, stinky, smelly job, you know, it had to be weighed right so that the customer had a 50-pound box of fish, it needed to be 50 pounds, not under, over. And so, you know, the, the, the premise here that we got was that we had to uphold the family name. It was a family business. And our name, well, actually, it wasn't my name. It was my grandmother's maiden name that was the title of the business. So maybe that's why I didn't have as much of a zeal for it. It didn't say Horn Seafood. It said Clark Seafood. But anyway, the idea is to uphold the family name, to, to faithfully witness to the world. That's what Christians are to do. We are to uphold the family name and I fear that's part of the problem that the, the church in America has today is that we have not upheld the family name. We've brought shame to, to what Christians are. And therefore the, the world is looking at Christians and deriding us and rejecting us. Of course, Christ said that they would hate us. But do they hate us because we love Christ so much? Or do they hate us because we're hypocrites? Does your life bring honor or shame to the family name? It's a question we must all ask ourselves. And then thirdly, family dynamics. Peter not only exhorts us to be holy, we're going to explore that theme of holiness, Lord willing, a little bit more next week. Uh, but family dynamics, living with fatherly fear and, and brotherly love, he goes on and, and, and continuing to help us understand how we should live, uh, this theme of holiness. Verse 17 if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So he's saying here, our holy, we have a, a heavenly father who is holy, 
And he's also the judge of the universe. Yes, we call on him as a father. We, we call on him when we need him. We, we call on him, we lean upon him, we depend upon our heavenly father. But that does not mean that we can go live any way that we choose. Any more than you know, we can take advantage of our own fathers, our earthly fathers, and we can enjoy all the blessings that we have by having an earthly father and then go out and take the money that they've given us or the privileges that we have uh, because of our relationship with this person and, and we can blow it. We can go out and, and, and live crazy lives that defame the family name and, and uh, are wasteful and really rejecting the father. And so he's saying, look, we call on this father, we call on him, and he's a good father. He's a, a loving father. And, and he loves us enough to discipline us. And he's going to. If you reject the father, if you don't follow the father's will, then God loves you too much to let you just go out there and go crazy. He's going to pull you back in. And sometimes that means he brings discipline, punishment even. Uh, chastisement. Hebrews chapter 12, which we studied a, a month or so ago. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. If you hate your child, you will not discipline them. You don't care about them. You let them go do whatever they want to do. But if you love them, you will teach them the right way. You will help them to choose well in their lives. God is even better than that. If we live in sin, we can expect to be disciplined by the Lord, who is a judge. He does not show partiality, and especially not to his children. He cares too much to show partiality to his children. So, keep that in mind. Conduct yourselves with fear. Fear, not cowering fear that, you know, like, like a scary movie kind of fear, but awe-filled uh, fear of his discipline, fear of his displeasure, fear of losing the comfort of having a close, loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. You ever done something that your parents told you not to, and, you know, you didn't, you didn't want to really be around them when you did that. You kind of wanted to, you, maybe there's a bit of shame and you, you drew back from being there because you didn't want to be exposed. That's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. If we're living in sin, we are reticent. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, what did they do when they sinned? They covered themselves, they hid from God when they heard Him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We, sat, we sacrifice our blessings when we're disobedient. And on top of all that, you know, that's a motivator to our holiness. But look at how much he loves us. Look at how much he's invested in us. Knowing this, you know, fear the discipline that he can bring on you. Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. What a, what a wonderful statement that is. Yes, you don't want to displease the Father, but even more so, 
he's, he's sent his son, and his son has died and suffered for you to free you from those very sins that you run to. And he's saying, don't do that. You've been ransomed from those. You don't have to live in those sins any longer. Christ has spilled his precious blood, a lamb without blemish or spot. He has sacrificed himself to free you from that sin. And if God is our Father, then we want to please him because he's invested so much in us. So yes, filial fear, fatherly fear of God and brotherly love. The same thing motivates us not only to love God by being obedient, but to love, the, love our brothers and sisters in Christ. If God is our Father, then our fellow Christians are our brothers and sisters, and we should love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You know, that's obedience. The, all the law is summed up. And love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So see, that's just another way of saying obedience. So Peter here gives us a blueprint for living as the children of God during our exile here. Number one, live with hope in the future grace that will be ours when Jesus returns. It keeps you from being too invested in the things of this world. Live with holiness since the Lord has rescued us from sin and has adopted us into his family so that we can no longer be enslaved to sin. And then thirdly, live with a fear of God and desire to please him in all things and love for our fellow children of God since he has gone to the trouble to send his son to rescue us and make us known. And that's how we can live in this life as God's children. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would help us to live holy lives with a, with a future hope in the grace that you reveal. We thank you for how you have, have died. Uh, you sent your son to die for us, to rescue us uh, from sin. Lord, we pray that we would take that seriously, that we wouldn't fool around with sin, but look forward to the future and, and be, uh, as we're uh, living in this life, help us to, to, to put to death the sin and by the, by the power of your Spirit, of course, and, and help us to see the, the new life of Christ growing in us, grace is growing in us. Lord, we might, that we might bring honor and glory to your name, to delight in you. Help us, Lord, to taste and see that you are good better than the sins that so easily beset us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.